Hello and welcome to episode three of the Salesforce Poddy. Hello. Poddy. 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 The Salesforce Poddy, Poddy podcast. Poddy. Come to you from... But Salesforce Poddy. I like it, actually. Let's, Let's keep it. it. Let's change it. Let's change it? Yeah. All right. Okay. Right. We, can, we, can have, we can have our own mascot called Salesforce <laughs> Poddy. Poddy. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, welcome to Salesforce Poddy. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Salesforce Posse podcast, recording on the 31st of May. In this podcast, we go through the post-mortem of the Salesforce Michigan. Michigan? Commission Geddon. Commission Geddon. I think we should, we should have hired Brian Blessed to do Oh, this yeah, story. absolutely. Commission yeah. <laughs> Blessed. Oh, I can't do it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Salesforce has a trailblazer day, and Francis explains the myriad of scenarios of when your triggers won't fire even when you want them to. So, my name is Francis Pinder from Net Stronghold. I'm Anoop Jadha from Azure and Writing Limited. Maybe we should mention our Twitter handles as well. Get our oh, yeah, followers up. You know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm, 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 Yours is easy. <laughs> Mine's easy. Yes. How you manage to get that, I <laughs> uh, don't know. Well, I managed to get it because I registered on Twitter when it was like two months old or three really? months old. Yeah. I found out about it from some tech forum somewhere. I don't even remember. I was like, hey, there's this thing. And I was like, why would I uh, use this for? But I'll register my name. And <laughs> I got <laughs> I got Adam Noop. And yeah. It's amazing. And then Twitter took off and I was like, wow. That's imp- yeah, amazing. Um, and uh, my handle, or my Twitter handle, do you want to call that? I don't know. Yeah. My Twitter name is uh, Radnip, which is my surname spelled backwards. Which took me years to figure out. Yeah. Eventually I did. And now everybody knows. So on to the June newscast. So what has been in the news? I don't think it's been quite a quiet month, hasn't it? Uh, no, no. I would say it has been an exciting month. I think you so. You know, someone said to me, uh, may you live in ex- exciting times is a curse. So, <laughs> so we do live in exciting times, you know, politically. We, we've got Brexit and Absolutely. all of those uh, shenanigans there. But also something interesting happened this month. So what happened? It did. Um, Salesforce made a little a bit of a mistake when deploying a... Database script. It's such a British way of saying it. It's like a little bit of a mistake. It was a, a minor boo-boo. Minor boo-boo. <laughs> bit, bit of a wobble. Bit of a wobble yeah. in, in the force. Okay, in the force. That's, yeah. that's so basically it all kicked off on in on Friday, Friday the 17th of May when yeah, Salesforce ran this database script, which was to do with um, a fix to Pardot mm-hmm. uh, permissions but inadvertently basically elevated the access rights of users across their Salesforce orgs. So I've heard rumors that it was modify all and view all permissions. It was. It was modify all and view all on object permissions, which is quite a big boo-boo. Salesforce decided due to the scale of the uh, instant, they would lock all affected instances. The, the actual issue affected only customers that had installed Pardot or previously set up Pardot. Uh, but they actually locked down all instances, the, all affected instances where they had orgs on there that had this uh, implication um, just to kind of protect the instance until they kind of figured out what makes to sense. do next, which makes sense, yeah. yeah. Um, so then Saturday morning, they kind of opened up access uh, back again, but only to administrators if you were an affected org or and everybody else was basically back to normal again. Yeah. Uh, and then throughout the weekend, they were working on a number of different scripts to restore permissions back 
to what they were. So by Monday, majority of the production instances were back to normal again. There were some anomalies on some instances um, and some other kind of edge cases they were still working on. Um, but yeah. So this, this is the first time something of this scale and magnitude has happened with Salesforce, I believe, right? Yeah, there was, the, there was the NA14 incident about four years the, ago. Three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah, three, three years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, I think that was an A, but that was kind of limited Just one to inst one instance. Yeah. So apart from that, I think this is kind of the first major incident that lasted multiple days. Yeah. And I think, by the way, we should preface this by saying we, are, we don't work for Salesforce. Nope. So most of this is supposition, some, you know, we are kind of... Uh, what's the word? It's, yeah, trying to it, it based on deducing, the deducing based on the information we have, what happened. Um, but because Salesforce is still kind of working on the root cause analysis and everything, else, so we don't yeah. know anything about that at this Correct. stage. So. Yeah. So uh, when the, when this podcast goes out, and if Salesforce kind of updates the root cause analysis, analysis, some of what, what we say might not be true. So we're just kind of putting a disclaimer out there. So <laughs> yeah. It's just our opinion. <laughs> Do not accept uh, any responsibility no. for. <laughs> So I think there were some things on the internet that were blatantly not true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my favorite was one guy who posted um, saying, I told you back in 1981 when I wrote this blog post that if you started using cloud, um, you'd suddenly wake up one morning and log in and see somebody, uh, another company's data, which wasn't the case. It wasn't. You know? No. Yeah. However, part of it is because if you're not a Salesforce customer or if you're not in the ecosystem, it's quite confusing to understand terms like orgs and instances yeah. and sandbox. So there's kind of a little bit of misreporting, not because they didn't understand what was going on, but it was because of some confusion around what they meant when they said customers can only see data across their own instance or yeah. org. Uh, versus across the whole board or whatever. Yeah. So so part of it's that, but yeah, you're right. That was a myth that customers couldn't see each other's data. They could only see well, all users in one org could see each other's data for a while. Yeah, and but also it wasn't you know if a user didn't have access to that particular object, they didn't get access as part of this mistake as well. So they had to have had at least read access to the object for it to affect them. Yeah. Um, so again, there's another, you know. Correct. Yeah. So my, my, my thoughts on this, you know, having worked in the IT industry for 14, 15 years, stuff like this happens. Absolutely, Especially yeah. uh, on a platform, an application like Salesforce, which is very complex, mm. uh, where they are trying to, even now, trying to integrate some of the acquisitions they've made yeah, Bardot being one of them. So it is quite complex to kind of understand the effect of doing a thing to one part of the system and what indirect effect it will have to the other part of yeah. the system. Having said that, they should have tested this more thoroughly. And you know, the supposition is maybe the the team doing this fix was the Bardot team, and they probably didn't kind of understand the impact of the wider impact of what would happen. But doing being devil's advocate back at you sure. on that, um, I think also it only affected the EU and the NA pods, basically, instances, or, you know, Some the customers yeah. that yeah, they're on there. And it could have been that actually the way they tested it, they did test it, did test it, and it did get rolled out across all the others. Yeah. It's just happened that it was something that was 
corrupt, incorrect on those pods, which then made it the issue happen. Yeah. So it might be that it could have been tested, could have been absolutely fine. Yeah. It was just something else that was put into the mix in those particular pods that affected it. Happens to the best of us. Exactly, yeah. We've evolving there. And you learn and you know, you yeah. learn from this, don't what, you? What so. doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So <laughs> I, I hope, one would hope that Celsius would come out stronger after this and their processes would be more robust in terms of applying patches and fixes. Celsius could have done better was the communication around the, uh, yeah. this. So I found out about this on Twitter and Reddit. Yeah, so, so people I. were talking about it and it's like, okay, what's going on? Thankfully, fortunately, uh, our org was not affected. No. It was on yeah. one of the UN, new UN3 yeah. instances. Right. Which is all the London yeah. the data Correct. centers. Yeah. yeah, the London data centers. So we were not affected. But uh, some of the uh, customers that I've worked in the past and you know some of my ex-colleagues, they were kind of talking on Slack channels and Twitter about this. Uh, and also on the MVP channel, there was quite a bit of chatter around, oh, looks like some of our community's users uh, suddenly have more access than they should which is kind of a, a, if not a big risk, it's definitely GDPR-esque. I think, yeah. Risk. Yeah. And people who were raising cases at that time were being asked to, were redirected to trust. And trust was saying everything's okie-dokie. It's yeah. like the, the reassuring green tech <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, I think it was around 5 p.m. UK time, but, yeah. So uh, we saw a tweet from Parker Harris saying yep. that there is an issue. He acknowledged it. And uh, as a protection, protective measure, they are kind of locking out some of the customers from the orgs yep. while they fix this issue. Yeah. And yeah, it was going to be a long night for the engineering team. Yep. And kudos to them. I guess they, yeah. you know, they, they must have worked. And that was rolling same. teams, I heard. You know, one yeah. team would come off, the next team would take over, and it was yeah. continuously throughout the whole of the weekend. So, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't want to be them at that weekend. <laughs> uh, but they've managed to fix it. However, still, the comms could have been better. Uh, there, were, there were webinars set up. Uh, people didn't, not everybody get uh, got links to those webinars directly. I yeah, and these Blue webinars were running like every couple of hours. Correct. Getting yeah, an update, update. on what's yeah, going so on. Yeah, so Celsius is doing its best to put, put an update out there. I think a better way of doing this would, would have been actually creating a, a separate incident page on trust and I updating think, it. Yeah. Because what happened was eventually the community did it for us. So uh, the MVP community and the partner community, they created quick documents and uh, so there was a Google Doc that was kind of being shared everywhere which analyzed the information that Celsius were giving and distributing that information to everybody publicly saying this is what's happening. Celsius have said that they're running scripts and I think they ended up running three or four scripts, scripts yeah, versions of the script, over yeah. two days to fix this issue and even then there were some orgs which edge cases which edge still cases didn't quite, quite yeah, fix. So yeah. all of this information you know you, if people don't get this information, they assume the worst. Yeah, and, and I think, start... I think, but also the initial stages of the incident. Yeah, I do have a thing where, well, actually, by public, without kind of understanding the impact of it and locking the orgs down, by advertising that there is an issue, you're basically opening up the risk of people figuring out and exploiting it. Correct. So I do think there is a bit of a balance between, yes, them reporting it publicly that there is this security incident. Um, oh, the bad actors are exactly, the Exactly, yeah. 
and knowing that actually they're going to lock it down. Which I initially I thought was something about Nicolas Cage or something. <laughs> really? Yes, the uh, bad accent, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why would he be interested in this? But <laughs> no, uh, I agree. I think there is a balance. Where, but if you're getting your information from Reddit and Twitter, I know, it's from already an out. official channel, then there's something wrong. So they definitely need to do some more work on making trust great again. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, also like Keir Bowden, CTO yep. of uh, BrightGen, did a blog post basically around like the speed of response. It did, yeah. Uh, and that they, you know, submitted a case and they would just keep on reject- redirecting to trust to say everything was fine. Um, and to be honest, if I was Salesforce and I got a P1 incident coming through from Keir Bowden, I would direct it directly to Parker, I think, you know, or, you know, <laughs> exactly. Steve Ham or somebody. Yeah. 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 No, we should definitely put a link uh, to that blog post in our show notes because it's kind of a good overview of things that they happen. And uh, I think uh, there's some good feedback in there around how trust should be updated, if not in real time at least close enough so that customers get information, then yeah. customers and partners can get information and act on it in a timely but fashion. M- but yeah, it, but then it might be just the way that they've kind of architected their support system, because you know a lot of the support is outsourced to Cognizant and oh, yeah. Accenture. So, and I don't know what the hours were when the incident started, but was, you know, was America asleep at the time? It was, it was 1.45 UK, yes, UTC. it may have been, yeah. yeah. So maybe that had an impact as well. But luckily it was over the weekend. Yeah. So of all the timings, you know, for the orgs to be locked out, what, around 5 p.m. on Friday, and then them sorting it out over the weekend, you know, it couldn't have really come at a better time. But the customers who survived this uh, were the customers who were kind of prepared for this, and partners. So uh, I guess we should mention that if, since this has happened, uh, what steps customers and partners should take to prevent, or at least to be able to... Uh, Aid the prevention. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. or to be able to bounce back once this happened. So the customers that were kind of reset or get back to the original state were the ones who did backups of their metadata and their data proactively, specifically metadata in this but instance. I, yeah, but I think also you need, yeah, but also that in some circumstances, that wouldn't have been enough. Mm-hmm. So, you w- you know, some customers using a backup solution or, you know, storing their metadata in a sandbox and pushing it over could have done, you know, a lot of the changes, but some of those impossible permissions that you just don't have access to, That's manage right. package permissions you don't have access to, you wouldn't have been able to restore any of those. So, yes, you would have been able to restore to a point, but the last mile, potentially, you it's, wouldn't have been able to. So. That's true. That's true. But it's still something. I think some customers just didn't have anything. And yeah, no data is, backup yeah. Or data backup. So I think an advice would be for customers or partners to proactively have tools that would do these things. Uh, obviously, in the um, we can't name those tools because they're not sponsoring us yet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now get in touch if you'd like to sponsor us. <laughs> uh, but there are tools out there, version control tools, CI tools, uh, data backup tools as well, uh, uh, that would allow you to have some sort of backup mm. in case things go wrong. However, they could go, some customers and partners can go a step 
further and do their own monitoring of these issues by yeah. having automated scripts or UI scripts and or tools that tools are available that, yeah, yeah. that can do the monitoring for them and identify at the very least access control violations. Yeah. Changes so, happening, yeah. Yeah, and but it's then, difficult. It's one of those things where you, which you don't kind of prioritize because you, you're all, always focused on what's important for business mm -hmm. and stuff. But these are the things that kind of save your bacon. Yeah. Things go but even yeah, even the simple things. If, you know, if you if it's a small org and you don't have the money to you know use these tools, yeah, you can always just like once a week create a sandbox or refresh a sandbox. Is your backup of your metadata? Now it could have been that this incident affected that sandbox as well yeah but potentially you could have had a bit of a safety matter of that yeah and then just use change sets to push the affected permissions and mm. profiles back into the org yeah um also the data export within salesforce you know just yep. configure that to run every week to do the export yeah um you know so worst case you can download the csv data of all the your objects and kind of manually push them back in again and you mentioned that um, before we started the podcast that sandboxes are not managed the same way as... Production. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was quite interesting. What I learned from this incident was actually Salesforce doesn't back up sandboxes in the same way as production instances. Interesting. So the scripts they were creating to fix the production instances um, wouldn't have worked with the sandboxes. So they had to basically create a set of scripts for sandboxes as well separately. And that was their, obviously, a a lower priority than getting their, you know, the production instances yeah. uh, sorted. And also, uh, customers who had managed packages installed had that extra complexity. Yeah. Because and that, they had to, yeah. there, there was some confusing information about how to fix that. Some customers were told that, uh, it, you know, it should be fixed by the scripts that they're running, and others were told that they need to reinstall that managed package. And yeah, and then some people couldn't because the package is either deprecated or not being used anymore yeah. they couldn't find the packaging or the only way to do it would be upgrade the package yeah. and also actually I heard that some users even though they were fixed they couldn't then edit their they still can edit the profiles permissions yeah. they're kind of locked to them and then also other customers I think on the Saturday were saying they were getting kind of these weird um, parent permission errors when trying to update you know through metadata API or you know to try and restore them themselves. So I think there were certain edge cases that were kind of um, happening. And also I think a couple of instances where orgs just didn't, even though the script would run, it just didn't yeah, change the permissions. Yeah. But I think, you know, by, as the script evolved and changed over the weekend, you know, they got more and more of those edge cases. So. Yeah, they got there in the yeah. end. And hopefully everything's resolved now. Hopefully. Yeah, and I think, okay. yeah, I don't know about the sandbox. I think the sandbox is... They initially said they weren't the only way you can revert the sandbox back was to refresh the sandbox or do your own backup. But I did read somewhere that actually they are, or somebody was saying that they are actually fixing the sandboxes. So okay. maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So there must have been another way that they've managed to recover it. So, all right. And what's what's the impact of all of this on Salesforce? I mean, PR wise, it. Uh, I'm surprised that none of the major news outlets picked up on this story. And, yeah, their, yeah, and, their, and their shares seem to be resilient enough not to be affected by, by this thing. So I think that's a big positive. I guess it's kind of a reflection of the goodwill that Salesforce has accumulated over the years. And yeah. given that this incident has happened for the first time, something like this, uh, of this scale has happened in first time in 20 years, is kind of, you know, 
probably helped. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but then, do you think there'll be a GDPR fine? So, I, I, to be honest, I think it all comes down to did anybody exploit it? Or was there anything to exploit in the first place? So, as it potentially you could say, well, for all the users within an org, excluding communities, because we don't know what the impact really was for yeah. that yet. Yeah. Um, well, you're just exposing more data to the users within the org. So you could maybe, if there was cross-border, if you had a big international org, uh, that you suddenly kind of started exposing data to other people, maybe. Um, but, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, if it was a GDPR fine, then it's basically up to 4% of Salesforce's revenue, which was 10.48 billion. Ooh. So that basically equates to a fine of 409, 419 million. Wow. But I don't think I don't think it'll get to that point. Yeah, yeah. What other impact do you think this will have? I don't. I mean. So yeah. <laughs> what's the? I mean, did it's you know it, it does affect. There's also a lot of information around how many orgs were affected, and I know you did some calculations. Yeah, so about I did that. a bit of calculation. So it is literally this is a bit of back of the fag packet <laughs> guesstimation, really. But um, essentially, all I looked, I looked at the, inst the total instances that Salesforce had at the point of which this uh, occurred, which is 214 instances. Now, these were both prod and sandbox instances. And of those, 104 were affected. So, uh, and this was affected as in on the shutdown, yeah. not the par dot, you right. know. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. based on the shutdown they did from Friday night to Saturday morning, about 49% of those instances were affected. Now, if you take out the sandboxes, that actually reduces down to about 47% of all the instances. So we don't know how many customers are on each instance, but essentially 47% of the orgs potentially were locked down over wow. that period. But then on the Saturday morning when they opened up access again, now I don't know about you, but how many, of, you know, again, it's a bit of a guesstimation, yeah. of customers have Pardot and have set it up in Salesforce because I've got customers that just use Pardot and they use Salesforce, but they haven't even linked them together. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, it's like one in ten, if not less. Yeah. Yeah. That's a low number then. Yeah. So of the forty-seven percent of orgs that were, we kind of know that they locked down. Maybe one in ten of those. So we may be talking five percent of orgs total. It doesn't sound that bad when you talk in percentages like that. No, but then, but then again, it's a bit of a guess. Yeah, that's true. Oh, well. I mean, I guess it was not all um, bad news. I guess the, the, the partners who create tools to back up metadata and data uh, now see an opportunity to kind of, you know, have a use this incident <laughs> yeah, as, a, as an opportunity to sell, sell more licenses. So it's uh, there's the silver lining for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think some partners are going to do very well. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, I saw a tweet about Mark Benioff following a specific partner. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> after this incident on Twitter. So, so that's that. I don't think. Uh, I think any, yeah. I think the only other thing was around yeah. Again, back to the communication and how they communicated out. And I know some partners knew that they had customers that were affected, but weren't getting the communications. Yeah. So again, that was another problem where, you know, the partners who were trying to support the customers couldn't because they weren't getting the information as well because they didn't happen to be, have a user on an affected org or, you know, yeah. so. Well, I guess for Salesforce, it, it would be wise for them to allocate more budget 
to both R&D and to support, yeah. to help support uh, incidents like this. And also, I think it also shows that there is a gap, a feature gap on yeah. the platform. And that is to have the ability to disable an org to everybody except for admins, which has been a feature that I think I've wanted forever. You I know. would have that thought that, I thought that, that they could do that behind the scenes, but clearly not. They yeah. had to kind of lock everyone out in this yeah. instance. But they did enable admins first for yeah. some orgs. But yeah, you're right, there is a feature gap. And I assume that it already existed behind the scenes and you could just call up support and say, can we do that? But No, and yeah. the, the, the classic thing you do is just change the login hours, don't you, on the profiles? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, it's true. To kick everybody out. Oh yes, uh, and the only other thing that was quite interesting on how they blocked access to the instances uh, was basically they just cut the internet to those pods. Really? So yeah, so the orgs were still running in the background, they just couldn't access the internet and you couldn't access. So I don't know if they could still access out, but you definitely couldn't access so those So they sort orgs. of air-gapped it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Which kind of made an, also makes an interesting thing for if, it, if that... If that was offline for over 24 hours, then you potentially have implications to um, outbound workflows, timing out, and things like that if you use those. So, and other integration in, you know, impacts wow. to integrations. So. Fun times. Yes. But it happened on the weekend, so. Uh, exactly, everything's good now. All good. Okay. All right, so I think that's enough of permission getting. Absolutely, I think we've done that to death. <laughs> What's next? So what else is in the news? What's yeah. in the news? So um, there was a trailblazer day. I did see a lot of tweets about that on Twitter. Yes, um, where yeah, a number of kind of great trailblazers were invited over to Indy uh, to um, kick off Trailblazer Day, and there was quite a there was somebody else that turned up. Initially, I thought that this was uh, about celebrating the trailblazers or some select trailblazers and, uh, you know, kind of inviting them to spend a day with, uh, with Mark Benioff and giving them a preview of certain features and stuff. But then I was surprised to find out that uh, it had a political angle to it. So uh, Salesforce used this opportunity to sign a job training initiative to provide training for new skills to U.S. workers. Uh, Ivanka Trump was there, first daughter of United States, and Salesforce has now pledged that they'll provide online training for up to 500,000 workers to get jobs that involve the Salesforce platform. So that's exciting. So yeah. I'm guessing they, they'll kind of leverage the Trailhead platform exactly, to do yeah. this. And I mean, I'm sure people are already doing that. I know that I'm kind of trying to encourage all my friends who are not in the ecosystem to go to Trailhead and skill up. No, exactly. And actually, I've just started a new client and we've just started Trailhead Tuesdays, where we basically meet up at lunchtime oh. and, you know, with our sandwiches and just do a couple of trails. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Is that quite local? Yeah, so it's basically, yeah, just at the company. So, company um, level, yeah, at the moment, okay. yeah, yeah. But we might, you know, put a should, webinar up and, you know, share it. We should make it a thing. I think yeah. it's similar to Trailhead Saturday. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Salesforce Saturdays. Salesforce Saturdays, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay, so other things in the news is it's Trailhead DX Week currently. It is. So that is all kicking off out in uh, San Francisco. And they announced blockchain feature. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of expecting blockchain announcement uh, at around Dreamforce time. Yeah, so I was yeah. surprised to find that they made this announcement at Trailhead DX. 
So yes, it was. I saw the demo, and it was quite polished, like all Salesforce demos, and it looked interesting. However, it's. I mean, it claims to create a trusted partner network, and it had all elements of blockchain, like nodes and blocks and stuff mm. like that. However, t- until we use it or find more documentation, I don't. I don't know how. What the use case cases, they're, yeah. they're trying to do. I mean, they did say that the use case could be as a car company who you could have a multitude of partners and you'd want to share information about your customer in a secure way with your partners and they would want to share information as well that you can see. So that's that's a valid use case. But uh, yeah, it's a one to keep an eye on to see how it yeah. evolves. Also the pricing, so we don't know. <laughs> oh, really? Gonna cost. <laughs> it, so it's in. It's coming summer nineteen, but in pilot or beta, one of the two. Is it? Okay. Yeah, I think I've read. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the excite the other exciting news was around LWC. LWC is now open source. So they've open sourced uh, um, the Lightning Web Component Framework. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Which, just like yeah, yeah it makes sense. Well, if yeah. It, with yeah, as your no aura, aura. <laughs> yeah. So. so just like you've got the Jew written on Yeah, just like before, the the Lightning Components, as it was called, was based on the open source Aura Components yeah. Framework. So they've decided to open source Lightning Web Components, which is exciting. Uh, you can uh, go to lwc.dev, or you can just search for LWC on GitHub. Uh, Google it, and you'll get to the repository. So you can start contributing to Lightning Web Components framework itself, which Brilliant. will then be used by all the developers who are building on top of Salesforce platform. So that's exciting. So that's Trailhead DX. I'm sure there'll be more news, and because it's Trailhead DX, we will probably talk about it at the next. Yeah. In the next episode of our podcast. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so uh, more news. Yeah. Salesforce has a Trailblazer store. Wow. Where can you I- can buy. Everything you wanted, Salesforce branded. Can I buy the golden hoodie? Except for the golden hoodie. Oh, damn. (laughs) But yeah, so you can access that at Trailhead Store, A-M-E-R.com. Amir? Amir? Amir. Amir. A-M-E-R. So it's trailheadstoreamir.com. A-M-E-R.com. Yeah. So if you wanted more swag, now you can buy it. You don't have to go to an event. You can just be at home and just order your swag. <laughs> but please, please do go to an event, though. Amazing. <laughs> Especially the user group events. Yeah. Yep. And the dreaming events. And the dreaming events. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Okay. And so um, there's some other quick fire uh, news that we found. Uh, they also kind of learned from Salesforce this week. Uh, firstly, it was a bit of a shout out to um, Neil Proctor's talk at London's Calling. In our first episode, we talked about serverless, and I forgot to mention that Neil actually did a talk around Salesforce versus serverless. And I'll put a link in the show notes at London's Calling. I have watched this talk, and it's excellent. Yes. I highly recommend it. Yep. Um, yeah. Also, we did talk a bit about Node.js and Salesforce CLI. Yeah. And the very next day after we recorded the podcast, Salesforce actually put a blog out on setting up uh, continuous integration or CI using uh, DX. Uh, and we'll put a blog in, uh, a link to the blog on that as well. But, it, you know, how to do it for popular vendors like Travis, Bamboo, Bitbucket. So are you saying there's stuff. a clear correlation between us talking about something and them blogging about it? I think there is. There is. Yeah, yeah we're making, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, another shout out from me uh, is I attended this Celsius Einstein Analytics Academy um, and it was quite good. It was a two day course, uh, kind of a, not a refresher, but a very high level, but on some topics it does go, does do a deep dive uh, about Salesforce Einstein analytics. Mm. It's free. Uh, you just have to contact your CSM or your account exec and they'll put you in touch with the right person so you can attend this academy oh, that's cool. and learn about Einstein analytics. Brilliant. Yep. And also some other news we kind of found out that I didn't realize, but Salesforce owns 10.2% as a passive stake in Zoom video communications. What's a passive stake? I have no idea. Maybe that's for next week. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm assuming okay, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe they're like a silent partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because I didn't know about this. But they did yeah. double their money. In I Zoom know. IPO, so they did well for they themselves. They did well in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that Salesforce Ventures rather than Salesforce Direct. That ha- I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, probably. Because it's their corporate investment. Yeah. Arm, isn't it? Which and, kind of leads on to the next one, which is yeah. Salesforce Ventures has actually launched a 125 million Europe trailblazing fund which is quite exciting. It is, because you know you see these ventures kind of investing in companies in the States, in the US, and mostly focused on San Francisco, West Coast, and sometimes you know the East Coast. So it's quite interesting that they are kind of opening up this fund for uh, European uh, startups. Um, and their strategy has always been uh, invest Again, we don't work for Salesforce or Salesforce Ventures, so we're guessing here, uh, yeah. from, or deducing. Uh, that strategy has been to invest in companies that kind of aligns with the with their long-term initiatives. Yeah. So they would invest in, well, there's a lot of interest in investing in AI companies. Mm. So one of the acquisitions that they recently made was in the, uh, they acquired a company called Bonobo. Yeah. Uh, I believe they were an investor, I don't know, but uh, they're kind of investing in companies like that. Uh, also blockchain. And anything that kind of they see crucial to their uh, to the Salesforce roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which makes sense. Yep. Um, also, um, Salesforce owns a stake in Lyft, the car. That was also surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, which they, is they it's almost up, twenty-seven million. They went IPOs recently as well. Yeah. So again, I think they've got, made some good investments. Uh, and also, um, Salesforce has announced their compensation of their top execs, which I found quite yeah. interesting as well. I'm not paid that much, so I'm quite. I was quite depressed after reading. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so their SEC filing in the U.S. basically said that Benioff gets a total compensation of 28.4 million. Yeah. Um, then Keith Block uh, got a total compensation for financial year 2019 of 17 million. Uh, Mark Hawkins um, got a compensation of 9.8 million. And co-founder CTO Parker Harris was compensated at twelve million for the year. Wow, we're in the wrong job. We're sure. definitely in the wrong job. We should have started a CRM company. Maybe. I know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's not too late. Yeah. Have to permission get an A. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll have a tough time. <laughs> right. So, so is that all the news we have for this? I think that's it. That is it for this month. Okay. Uh, but I do have a little tip. Yes. Because it is my turn. It is your turn this, this this episode. Yeah, so but I thought I'd ask you a question first. Are yep. you ready? Yeah. Okay, so my question is how many Salesforce actions or scenarios that a user can perform yeah. in the Salesforce UI results in your apex triggers not firing? So for example, 
when a user does a cascading delete, yeah. none of the child, act, uh, child records will fire their delete triggers. Yeah. So that's one. So how many others are there? Are there five, uh, oh, five, ten, or fifteen scenarios? I hope it's five. You but hope I, it's five. I hope it's five. I'm hoping that user action, that kind of results in DML, would fire a trigger. Uh, but I'm guessing the answer is not five. Not five. <laughs> okay. So actually, it's at least fifteen. At least fifteen. Yeah. So and there are others depending on how you've configured your org. So, for example, you can disable your triggers and validations when a user performs like a lead convert. Yeah. Uh, so you can say, hey, don't fire my triggers on account, contact, and opportunity during that operation. But that's a setting. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a setting. You can switch on and off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, so the reason the triggers don't fire is basically because they only fire when DML operations are invoked yeah. by the application server. If it kind of initiates it or kind of uh, processes it you know, under the hood. Uh, but any bulk operations that don't go via the application server and invoke DML basically don't fire your triggers. So any action that happens in the UI that results in a bulk operation yeah. doesn't go to the application server yeah. and therefore no DML and therefore no trigger. Absolutely. Wow. Exactly. That's so subtle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and a lot of developers don't realize this, I yeah. find. And so they... Well, this, is, this is news to me. I mean, some of it is. I mean, I knew... I've seen some ideas yeah. uh, about... Well, I've seen one idea where inline edit doesn't yeah. fire a trigger, which I was surprised to. Yeah, and that also doesn't fire assignment rules. So if somebody does an inline edit... I know, that was rules. it, actually. And maybe it doesn't fire assignment rules. It does, maybe it does fire trigger rules, but not assignment rules. Sorry. Okay, so some of the examples for actions that don't fire triggers yeah. would be like during a mass campaign status change, um, cascading updates of child uh, records when you kind of reparent them on a merge operation, uh, mass division transfers, mass address uh, updates, mass approval request transfers. Wow mass email actions, or even changing a business account to a person account won't fire triggers. Um, actually, inserts, updates, and deletes on person accounts will only fire account triggers anyway and not contact triggers. That's a big one. So if you're changing from business account to person account, but that's not a bulk operation. That's kind no. of a single operation. Even then, it won't fire. No, yeah. Wow. So yeah, so it's quite, and the list goes on. And yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes. Sure. But yeah, there's also administrator functions that can uh, that kind of do bulk operations, which won't fire <coughs> your triggers as well. So, for example, uh, renames or replacing of pick lists. Mm -hmm. So the value could change, but the but it won't trigger your triggers. Um, also, this isn't just limited to triggers. So, for example, if a user performs an inline edit, your assignment rules won't fire. So it is kind of crazy. So. What can you do? So how do you okay, so there manage, are, so, manage this? Yeah, so there are loads of different kind of scenarios that can help you. Um, I will probably just go through one because uh, okay. it's the most common, and yeah. that is when somebody does a merge operation. So if um, they've got two records, you're using dupe rules, they see the two records, they merge them together, and then basically all the related lists kind of combine together but none of those triggers will fire. So if you do yeah. have kind of actions that roll up information to the parent, mm -hmm. or you have logic to make sure that you only get one primary, primary related record for a particular object, and that kind of stuff, it's just not 
going to detect it because your triggers aren't going to fire. So what you can do is when that merge operation occurs in Salesforce, Salesforce basically fires a single delete trigger on all the losing records because you can basically kind of merge multiple records together. And then also it fires a single update trigger on the winning record. So, right. you know, when they choose in that, you know, I want this to be my master yeah. in, in that, you know, dupe management. So that's the one that kind of gets the update trigger firing on it. But then what you can do is on when the delete fires, yeah. you can detect to see if the field master record ID has been filled out. And that is basically populated with the winning record. So you can then basically detect when a merge operation is happening by looking, creating a delete trigger yeah. and looking for that kind of field being populated. So then you can then kind of fix all your wow. related record triggers uh, and sort all that out. It's not like we don't have to worry about other things now that we have to also think about this. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, but it's, yeah. it's good. I mean, I did not know that there were so many scenarios where the triggers won't fire. Yeah. So I think this should be, we should either post this to our uh, show notes or perhaps you can blog about it. Yes. With some pictures and stuff like that. I think it's a very useful information that's probably undocumented and someone it needs to document documented it. in the Salesforce docs, but it's a little bit buried, I would say. But yeah, I'll put a link <laughs> into the show notes, but yeah. Fair enough. But not, cool. it doesn't come up with all the scenarios of how you could handle it though. It just says the triggers don't fire in these scenarios and that's about it, so. Wow, thank you. That's a... That's, uh, very useful tip. And I think that means we've come to the end. Of episode three. Dun, dun, dun. There you go. I'm hoping after this we'll have a million followers on Twitter. And <laughs> we'll oh. just be... We'll be famous. We'll be famous. Maybe another 15 downloads and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you have listened and you do like the podcast, please don't forget to rate us and say how brilliant or bad you thought we were. Because that always helps. Yes, definitely. Any sort of feedback will help. Absolutely. Until next time, so long. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye.